The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. You know, this week's been an incredible week for me because it was, it's been a week of reminiscing. And uh, reminiscing because 40 years ago this week, I had the most powerful divine encounter of my life at a camp. And um, we, we would um, go off to Melbourne for this, for this family camp. And it was a young person's camp, family camp. And, and it was um, specifically aimed at Italo-Australian Pentecostals. How many of you know that that Italo-Australian Pentecostal community was quite a small community in Australia? And, uh, but it was an amazing community because you know, I was able to relate to kids with an Italian background and a Pentecostal background. How many of you know that sort of brings it right down to a unique scenario? And, and uh, we, we would go off to Melbourne at the beginning of January every year. And uh, it was incredibly powerful. Anyway, it was 40 years ago that um, I went to this camp in Melbourne. And, and, and I'd been going previous years, but it was 40 years ago, right beginning of, of January, where I had this divine encounter that changed my life forever. And um, I can still remember it. There was this altar call and the guest speaker, his name was Ezra Coppin, all the way from America. Only, only an American can have a name like Ezra Coppin. And, uh, and he was moved by the Holy Spirit and he said, you know what, I, I feel, I really feel that God is calling people into ministry. And if the Holy Spirit is moving upon you and you feel that God's calling you into ministry, I want you to come forward and dedicate yourself to God. He says, I, I don't know when the timing is, and you don't have to organize that. God will organize that. But if you just want to step over that line and make a commitment to, to set yourself aside for ministry, now's the time to do so. And I just remember the Holy Spirit moving powerfully upon me. And um, I was one of the first up front. But it was not just me as well. There was a whole bunch of others. There might have been about 40 or 50 people at the front of that altar call in January of 1978. And we had just the most amazing God encounter that forever changed my life. And, and uh, when I went back home just that week, um, God spoke to me so clearly out of the word, out of Acts chapter 26. And it was this word that I, I marked in my Bible. For, Arise, stand on your feet. For this purpose I've appeared to you, to set you aside as a minister. Here I was, 18 years of age. And that word was so powerful. And I remember going to my parents and, and saying, Mum, Dad, God's called me to, um, to go into the ministry. And, uh, and I feel that it's time for me to quit university and to go to Bible school and to prepare myself. And uh, let me tell you something. My dad was not a happy camper. At the time, he wasn't too happy at all for me to quit uni. Um, and, you know, you've heard the story many times that I shared, but God opened the door for me to go. And um, two weeks later, I was sitting on top of the mountain in Katoomba, preparing myself for the ministry 40 years ago. We're talking right now, 40 years ago. This is the, this is the point that I want to make to you. And it's just such a powerful point. 
that I'm standing here today in front of you because of a decision that was made 40 years ago. An 18-year-old kid made a decision at a camp 40 years ago that changed the course of his life not only changed the course of his life, my life, but also has been able to impact thousands of people. Why wouldn't, want, why wouldn't you want to send your young person to a camp that's got the potential of doing that? Why wouldn't you want to go to a family camp that's got the potential of doing that? I, I mean, it's just, there's, there's places that are divine encounters. And, uh, and divine encounters change your life forever. And so this morning, I want us to open up the word to Genesis chapter, um, we'll, we'll do Genesis chapter 8, because I want to talk to you about this theme that we've been doing on higher, deeper, wider, and it's the theme for this year, higher, deeper, wider, and in order for us to go deeper, we need to go higher. So deeper is a deeper revelation, a deeper, uh, deeper into the word, deeper roots, stronger, all, all that sort of stuff that we look to do. But in order to go deeper, this is what I found. I found that the deeper revelations of God either come through the God encounters on mountaintop experiences or the God encounters through the dark valleys of life. The dark valleys of trials and tribulations. How many of you have had dark valleys of trials and tribulations? And how many of you know that in those dark valleys of trials and tribulations, you encounter God, you encounter a revelation, you encounter something that changes your life. But that's the tough way of learning. But the easy way of learning is to climb the mountain. The easy way of learning is those God encounters that I call mountaintop experiences. And what happened 40 years ago, it was a camp in Melbourne, but for me it was a mountaintop experience. It was an encounter with God that forever changed my life. And so what I want to do today is take you on a guided tour of eight mountains in the Bible. Who's, who's ready to go on a guided tour with me to eight mountains? And these eight significant mountaintop experiences are all about people getting deep revelations of God. And how important it is for you to climb higher to go deeper. You climb higher, encounter God, and there's a deeper revelation. So the first mountaintop experience is really the first mention of mountains in the Bible, and it's Mount Ararat. Mount Ararat. How many of you know the story of Mount Ararat? Mount Ararat is the first mountain mentioned in the Bible, and it was the mountain on which the ark settled after Noah's flood. And you know, you can read about it in Acts chapter 8 and uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 8. And uh, and then then once the waters subsided, the ark is still on the mountain. Noah gets out of the mountain and there there is a divine encounter between God and Noah. And Noah builds this altar. We can read it from verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered bird offerings on the altar. Just incidentally, uh, when it came to clean animals and clean birds, there weren't just two, there were seven. 
Okay, so when it came to offering animals, Noah just didn't bring two of each. He brought seven of each. So that's why he was able to sacrifice one of the seven. Because if he sacrificed one of the two, we'd be in big trouble, baby. <laughs> anyway, um, so, um, so, and then the Lord smelt a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing that I've done. And then, then God gave this covenant and he said, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. So what we see here is that the revelation that God wanted Noah to get was that no matter how bad it gets, I'm going to make a way. And we're talking about death and destruction all around him. And so there's, there's the water subsided and just leaving death and destruction and mayhem. But right next to the death, destruction and mayhem is the ark. There's this huge boat that was created and it was a sign of salvation. It was a sign of, you know what, in the midst of death and destruction, I made a way. I made a way for you. And there's a message for there that God makes a way. You might be looking at your situation right now and saying, all I can see is death and destruction and mayhem and tragedy. But the revelation that God wants to give you is that he makes a way. Then in the midst of this, he spoke to, to Noah and he said, you know what, one thing that will remain are the seasons. The seasons will remain. There will always be seed time and harvest time. There'll always be cold and heat. There'll always be winter and summer. There'll always be day and night. One stops and the other starts. And too many, too many times what happens is that we're in the middle of the night season and it's all dark around us and fear grips our heart because it's nighttime. But here's the word of the Lord. Nighttime will come to an end and then the day will start. How many of you know that the nighttime did come to an end today and day started and, 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 and for you to understand that if you're in a night season if you're in a winter season it will end God will make a way it will end God will make a way it will end God will make a way and, and here's Noah getting this incredible revelation of God making a way of God bringing an end to your dark season of God bringing the new season and maybe in 2000 maybe in 2017 for you was a dark season maybe 2000 2017 for you was filled with trauma, but it's coming to an end and God will bring a new start. How many of you say glory to God for that? You know, maybe for some of you, it was an awesome year, but you know what? The seasons come and the seasons go and we'd have the ups and the downs, but in all of it, God promises never to leave us nor forsake us and he makes a way. You know, I, I really, I'm an end time believer. I believe that Jesus is coming back. I, I believe in end times prophecy. I, I believe that things are going to get worse before they're going to get better. You know, and, and when you look at world events, you know, you just see all sorts of problems and issues and devastation coming. But you know what? It doesn't frighten me. I, I don't sit there ever stressed out. I mean, last year, some, some things were passed that, uh, as Christians, we, you know, concerned us. But I never got stressed out by it. Why didn't you get stressed out? Because I just know that God makes a way through it all. I just know that if there's a fire, that God's able to take us through the fire. If there's a flood, God is able to take us through the flood. 
And, and what I know is this, is that there is salvation in the name of Jesus. And those that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will never be disappointed. Just as God made a way for Noah to create an ark and save the world, God makes a way for his people, for his church, and they will come through unscathed. Glory to God. Can anybody say amen to that? That's a revelation that you need to keep in your heart. If you're going to clap, make sure it's a good one. Okay. Okay, I've got eight mountains, so I can't stop too long on any one. Though, seriously, I could make this a nice long series for you. You're going to get an eight-week series in one Sunday. How many of you think that's awesome? But we've got to turbocharge. You've got to drive fast with me. Okay, I'm going to be the faster pastor this morning. Number two, the second mountain. Let's move to Mount Moriah, Genesis 22. What's this mountain? Well, this is the mountain that God tested Abraham on. And in uh, Genesis 22, verse 2, he says, Now take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And so we have Mount Moriah was the, the mountain that Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him. You know, the fact is, you know how the story ends. And Abraham didn't kill Isaac, but it was a test. It was a test for Abraham, and God was doing something not only to Abraham, but to us. And, and, and what's the test? The test is the test of obedience. Everybody say obedience. Imagine waiting 20 years for a son. And then when you get the son, and you see the son growing up, and the son becoming all that you hope him to be. And God says, take him up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. How many of you would have struggled with that test? I certainly would have struggled with that test. But the test too often for us is obedience and trust. And for, and for too often, for too many of us, we don't understand that the key to success in life is obedience to God. That's the key to success. And too often what happens is that we don't see the end. We only see the now. And that's where the struggle is. You know, here I am now. We're talking 2018. But in, two, but in 1978, I had no idea what the journey of my life would look like 40 years down the track. Nor, nor did my parents. My mother probably had an inkling because she was always a woman of faith and had dedicated me to God when she was 15 years of age. So she always had an inkling that God's hand was upon my life. But my father, being an Italian migrant and loving so much the opportunities in Australia, was so proud of the fact that I was at university studying to be an architect. So proud of that. So proud that I was able to break that whole spirit of poverty that had existed on our family for generations. Was able to come to this land and, and create an opportunity for his son to be educated because in my father's mind, education was a key to break the cycle of poverty. And then, and then on this particular day, 40 years ago, when I say to him, um, God's spoken to me, not to finish university, but to go to Bible school and prepare myself for ministry. For my dad, that was a big deal. It was a huge deal. Not because he didn't love God. 
because he did love God. Not because he wasn't a Christian, because he was a Christian. He was an elder in the church. He was the secretary of the church. He was involved in the church. But because he just couldn't see 40 years ahead. And for him, he'd come to Australia to break that cycle of poverty. And all he'd ever seen of pastors is, in his eyes, is them continuing the cycle of poverty. Because churches never paid their pastors well. And the fact is that until I came to this church, that was the deal for us. But glory to God, 22 years ago when I came to this church, this church has paid me well and continues to pay me well. And I'm more than appreciative of that. And, and, uh, and God's provided everything that we've ever needed. But at that time, my father had difficulty until God spoke to him. And when God spoke to him so clearly, he, he, he got the revelation that, you know, what I've worked out in my head is not necessarily the way that it's going to finish. And so then my dad was able to say, John, if you feel that God's called you, I give you my blessing. You can go to Bible school and, and I will die to my own visions. I will die to what I feel in order to pursue what God has said. So here it was. It wasn't just a test of obedience for me. It was a test of obedience also for my dad that really struggled with that test. But he broke through and he came through. And, and uh, the last time that my father ever came to see me in ministry, the last time was the day that we dedicated this church to the Lord when we built this church, Gustav, 20 years ago. It was the last time that he's, he actually saw me in ministry. Was He was able to see this building built. And my father passed away just a few weeks later. He passed away, but he was able to see. It was like God kept him alive for him to see that in actual fact, God's hand was upon my life. And his step of obedience was a step of blessing. Well, now he's in glory, so there's no issues anymore. But, uh, but this is the point that he's Abraham and his son and up to Moriah. And he's about, he's about to put the knife into his son and sacrifice him in the step of obedience. And God says, whoa, don't do that. You don't have to do that anymore you've done the test of obedience then all of a sudden he turns around and there's a lamb there's a ram caught in the thickets by its horns because abraham had prophesied over his son his son was saying to him hey dad you know we've got the fire we've got the wood but where's the sacrifice here he is walking not realizing that he was the sacrifice how many of you think that's a that's that's, that's pretty sad. Dad, we got the fire, we got the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And rather than Abraham saying, you're it, baby. Because how many of you know that? I don't know if Isaac would have been so keen, you know. But he's, he's Abraham prophesying. God will provide. God will provide the sacrifice. God will provide, whichever way. And so what happened, here he is on the altar about to put the knife into his son. And God says, no, don't do it. And then he turns around and there's a ram caught in the thicket. And God had provided the sacrifice. The ram took the son off the altar. You know, what's, what's the revelation of this? Here, here's the revelation. Abraham, you don't have to give your son because I'm willing to give my son. And you say, how do you get that? Let's, 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 let's move forward. Because Mount Moriah was not only the place where the test happened to Abraham, 
But when you fast forward, Mount Moriah was actually the site where Solomon built the temple. On the very site. Mount Moriah was where the temple was built. And so the revelation that God gave Abraham is God's going to provide. And, and what's the story of the temple? The story of the temple is God provides redemption for humanity. God provides salvation. God provides forgiveness of sin. So you've got to climb the mountain to get that revelation. And when you get that revelation, I'm telling you, you go deeper. Because for so many people, they have information but not revelation. For so many people, they, 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 they get the message, they get the catechism, they get the, the, the teaching. But the teaching's in the head and not in the heart. And we've got to climb some mountains, not just to get the information, but to get the revelation. See, see, I, I, I guarantee that Abraham knew that God would provide because he prophesied it over his son. But when the actual rubber hit the road, he was about to stick the knife into his son. And God, the angel of the Lord said, don't. And there behind him is a ram caught in the thicket. All of a sudden, that thing went from his head to his heart. You know, before I knew of the hearing in my ears, but now I see with my eyes that God really, really, really does provide. But how many of you know that sometimes to get the revelation, we've got to be pushed right up against the line? And how many of you know we struggle with that sort of push? Boy, oh boy, we just don't want to go there. And God takes us there to give us the revelation. Number three, Mount Sinai. What an incredible mountain this is. The Mount Sinai, because here in Exodus chapter 19, God invites Moses, come and climb the mountain. Come on up here. And Mount Sinai was, was considered by everybody the Mount of God. And that's where God lived. And God came down on Mount Sinai. And, and, and God invites Moses to come up. And, and there there's this divine encounter. Three times Moses went up to Mount Sinai. But this first time that he went up, God spoke to him. And, 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 and not only God spoke to him, but God also spoke to the people. And he got the Ten Commandments. And guess what? The Ten Commandments, when they were first given, were given audibly. So it wasn't just written, it was given audibly and all the people heard God speak the Ten Commandments and that's when they all said, please, tell God not to do this anymore. If God wants to speak, let him speak to you, but don't let him speak to us. That scared us to death hearing the voice of God. And so Moses had the privilege of the divine encounters and the people knocked it back. They didn't want it. But in, in, in the Ten Commandments, what happened is that God was able to communicate to his people his expectations. And sometimes we miss out on this revelation that God has expectations of us. Oh, God is love. Yes, he is. Oh, well, God, God forgives. Yes, he does. But God has expectations of us. Do you know what God expects of you? Oh, yeah, but John, you're taking us into legalism. No, I'm not taking you into legalism. I'm taking you in understanding that God expects something from us and we need to understand God's expectations now over the years those expectations have certainly changed ten commandments brought us under the law and then but but we'll talk about it a little bit later what are the expectations that God has of us today but don't sit there for one little while and think yeah I can take whatever I want from God with no sense of expectation the deeper you go the deeper you'll understand that God has expectations of you. 
Let's move to the fourth mountain, and this is Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is the mountain with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And this is found in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19. And uh, there, was a, there was this period of time where the people had forsaken God and gone after their own gods. And so they, uh, they, they had the, the, the Baals and they had these idols and they, would, and they would pursue. And it was, you know, they considered it was awesome and it was wonderful. But they'd forsaken the true God to pursue other pleasures. You know, what, you know what's fascinating is this. There are always alternatives to the true God. There's always alternatives. And this world will always give you alternatives. And the alternatives always promise so much, but deliver zero. In, in actual fact, what they do deliver is death and destruction and pain and anguish. And God offers so much and delivers what he promises. And so what we have on Mount Carmel is the confrontation between the alternatives and the true God. And the revelation is God wins. That's the revelation. He who answers in fire. And so they had, you know the story where they, they, they had the sacrifice and, and uh, come on you prophets of Baal. You know, we, we believe this, that the God who answers in fire is the true God. So bring down the fire. And so they would try to do everything that they did and, and nothing would happen. And then Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. Just, um, just wet the sacrifice. Yeah, put a bit more water on top. Just wet it. Just make it really soggy. Because my God is able to do far above and beyond. And so kaboom, when he prayed, God answered in fire and proved. It was just this, this confrontation between dark and light, between good and evil, between the true God and the false gods, and God answered with fire. Can I tell you that God will always win? Can I tell you that you can, you can actually set God up to win, and he will always win. You can always guarantee that God will win. I, I, I love the story of um, Teal Osborne. When I was a kid growing up, Teal Osborne was one of my heroes. Teal Osborne in the 50s was, uh, was uh, an evangelist that would operate in signs and wonders. And so one, one of his great evangelistic powerful... So you had Billy Graham that would just preach the pure gospel, and that's awesome. Billy Graham's one of my heroes. Then you have the Teal Osborns and, and the Reinhard Bonkies that were power evangelists. They would not only evangelize with the pure gospel, but also with signs and wonders. How many of you know that's just taking it to another level when there's signs and wonders? And so Teal Osborne, he, he, he just had this faith to do the challenge like Elijah did. And so I can still remember as a little nine-year-old kid watching one of the Teal Osborne films. How many of you remember the Teal Osborne films, Java Harvest and some of these? We're going back 50 years. And, uh, and so what he would do is that he would challenge all the other gods. And he'd bring out, he had faith to heal deaf people. And so, so he'd bring a deaf person forward and he'd say, okay, this is the challenge. And he'd, and he'd call all the other religions. If, you, if your God can heal this deaf person, we'll follow your God. So come on down. Come on down. Come on down. Any, any of you people that can heal this deaf person, come on down. And he'd have all the Christian missionaries on the stage and they'd be in fear and trepidation thinking, oh my goodness, what's going to happen now? And, not, and obviously none of the other leaders of 
other false religions had come forward. And then he said to the people, to prove to you that the God that I serve is the God who saves and heals and sets people free. Ears be open and the deaf would hear and they'd be looking around and saying, yeah, we can hear. And then he'd give the appeal and how many of you know people would just run forward to get themselves saved. But he got that revelation by reading what God did on Mount Carmel. And, and you know what? Let me tell you something. Sometimes some of you need to be, be bold enough to put God in a place like that because God will always prove himself in a place like that. Have you got that sort of revelation or are you going to back away from that? Because Elijah certainly did. Number five, are we ready for the fifth mountain? We've done, what have we done so far? We've done Ararat. We've done Sinai. We've done Carmel. Let's go to the New Testament. We've done Moriah as well. So let's go to the Mount of Beatitudes. Because again, in Matthew chapter 5, the Bible says that Jesus climbed a mountain. And, and you know, I've been to the Mount of Beatitudes, and to me, it's just a hill. But never mind, it's, it's a place of divine encounter. It says in verse 1, And seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so you have this incredible sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Mount of Beatitudes. And there Jesus teaches them the culture of heaven. And what an incredible encounter it was for the disciples to hear the culture of heaven. To understand, yes, Moses climbed a mountain and he gave you the Ten Commandments. Jesus has also climbed a mountain and now he's sharing with you the culture of heaven and what true discipleship is all about. And there Jesus explained what the kingdom of heaven is all about. He explained the way that heaven works, the culture of heaven. And if you want to be people that live in eternity, in heaven forever and ever, these are the cultures that you need to emulate. And Jesus became the role model for kingdom culture. And this is what, as New Testament people, New Covenant people, we believe in, is that now we follow Jesus, that he's the role model. We, our goal is to become like Jesus. Our goal is to behave like Jesus. Our goal is to observe all that Jesus observed. And this is the encounter that happens when you climb the Mount of Beatitudes and you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you get that into your spirit, something powerful happens. Then the sixth mountain that we're going to climb today is the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration, you can read this in Matthew 17, where, where Peter, James, and John were invited to climb the mountain with Jesus, and it's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And there, Jesus got transfigured. And so his, his heavenly glory came upon him. He was transfigured from Jesus the man to Jesus the Son of God. And uh, who also appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration was Moses and Elijah. How many of you remember that story? And Peter, James, and John had this divine divine encounter where Jesus was transfigured. And then they heard a voice from heaven. The father spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then the father uttered these words, hear him. What was interesting is that there was Moses, there was Elijah, there was Jesus. The father didn't say, listen to Moses. What did Moses represent? Moses represented the law. The father said, look, the law is good, but it's not perfect. Then there was Elijah. What did Elijah represent? Elijah represented the prophets. And so right there on the mount, there was the law and there was the prophets. And it was like 
Hey, they're good, but they're not perfect. But he's Jesus. He's perfect. Hear him. He is the incarnate word of God. Listen to him. And so this is why the New Testament for us, the words of Jesus are so important. You know, the Old Testament, it's good. It's not perfect. It leads us to Jesus. And so what we have in the transfiguration is the voice of the Father saying, listen to Jesus. Follow Jesus. God speaks. Would you listen? Come on, folks. God speaks. Would you listen? God wants to speak to you. Will you listen? That's the encounter on the Mount of Transfiguration. The number seven. This is so powerful. We get to Mount Calvary. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And so what we read in Luke 23, 33, is that they led him to Calvary. And on on Mount Calvary, the Son of God was crucified. And that's what's the revelation that we have there is that Jesus died, that we might live. That's the revelation. Jesus paid the penalty. And, And here it was. You know what, Abraham? I didn't want you to sacrifice your son because I was going to sacrifice my son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And there it is on Mount Calvary. What's the revelation? God saves. God saves humanity. There is only one way, not many ways. You know what? If there were many ways to God, he wouldn't have had to sacrifice his son. You know, this, this, this rubbish that people tell you, there are many ways to God is absolutely false. Because Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he had the cup of suffering, this is what he said to the Father, if there is any other way, take this cup away from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And the implication is, no, there is no other way. This is the only way for the salvation of mankind. The Father didn't say, well, you know what? If they're good enough, they'll all get saved. Because nobody's good enough. You know what? Every road leads to God. Yeah, what every religion leads to go. No, Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You're saying, John, you're being arrogant. No, I'm being truthful. I'm sharing with you the word of God. There's no arrogance in sharing the word of God. Truth is truth. There is no such thing as an alternative truth. There's only one truth, and that's God's truth. Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. When you come to this church, all you'll hear from me is the truth. The truth, if you're going to be offended by the truth, don't get offended by me. Get offended by the truth. But Jesus is the only way to God. He's the one who saves. And then we have the last mountain, the eighth mountain, and it's the Mount Olivet. And what's the Mount Olivet? That's the Mount of Ascension. It's the Mount of Olives. It's the mountain that... uh, Jesus took the disciples just before he ascended into heaven. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 1. Uh, I think it's yeah, Acts chapter 1 and uh, verse 12. It talks about them coming back from the Mount Olivet. And, um, but it was on the Mount Olivet that he gave them the incredible commission. It says here in verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And uh, there from Mount Olivet, what was the revelation? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both here in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here's the revelation that comes after salvation, after all the other revelations. We've got to go wider. Now that you've gone deeper, we've got to go wider. 
And we start with where we are. We start with the people around us. We start with our world. What do we tell them? We tell them that Jesus saves. We tell them Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We tell them what Jesus has done in our life. We tell them about the revelations that we've had. Guys, you can't go wider if you haven't got depth in your life. To go wider without depth is just speaking words. When you go deeper, when you speak, you speak life. And it's, that's what people need. They need the life that you've received. And what an amazing thing it is to go higher in order to go deeper. And then we go wider. And you know what? In part of, if you're going to be part of life source, this is what happens is that our width goes to the ends of the earth. Our width is planting churches all over the world. Yeah, we're going to do more in Sydney. We're going to do more in Australia. But we're not going to compromise but not doing what we're doing all over the world we're fulfilling the great commission here in our city here in our nation and here to the ends of the earth and because of this revelation that god commissions us to do something powerful we go and tell people about jesus because jesus is the answer we tell others about him let me finish wow that was a I told you I was going to be the faster pastor today. And uh, I did an eight-week series in half an hour. And there's so much depth in this. And there's so much stuff that you can yourself just reflect and pursue the mountaintops. But you know what? You've got to climb your own mountain and have an encounter with God. I climbed that mountain 40 years ago and it changed my life forever. And thousands and thousands of people have been impacted. But you know, you know the thing that blesses me the most is that, is that I, was, I was going on this journey and then God changes and said, John, pursue this. And as I started pursuing it tentatively, there were all these blessings that were on that road. One of the great blessings that was on that road was Elizabeth Ann Morgan. She was on this road. She wasn't on that road. She was on this road. And when I got to this point, there's, there's Anne. And she was a gift from God that I, I only was able to get because I was on that road. And because we pursued that, you know, this church was on that road. And we were able to see what God has done through that church because we didn't travel other junctions. We kept pursuing the obedience of God. And you've been able to be blessed because we were obedient. Can I just say to you that that's the testimony of our lives. But the testimony of your life is you want to live your best life? Just obey. It's not complicated. Just obey. But John, you know, it's just so complicated. No, 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 no. It's easy. Because as soon as you go on the wrong track, the Holy Spirit will pull you back if you let him. Do you know what? I reckon it's harder to miss the will of God than to find the will of God. Why is that? Because you literally got to be rebellious to miss the will of God. You've got to literally reject the voice of God. And today, I'm saying to you, come on, just obey the voice of God. Have a soft heart. Just begin to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. Whatever price you're willing me to pay, I'm willing to pay it because I know that at the end, it's the cheapest price. It's the cheapest price. It's the easiest price is the price of obedience. Let me tell you, the price of disobedience is very, very, very expensive. The price of obedience is incredibly, incredibly blessed. 
Will you obey God today? If you're willing to obey God today, just close your eyes and open up the palms of your hands. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to say, Father God, today I make a decision to obey you. Whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. I open up my heart to be sincere and honest. Not my will, but your will be done in my life. And this year, I dedicate myself to hearing the voice of God and obeying the voice of God. Help me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.